Thank you for joining us once again for Kingdom Rock Radio. Now here's a sample of today's broadcast. You get over there and then all of a sudden you're confronted with things and then you're like, well, no, you know, I don't want it. And they're looking at you like, well, if you didn't want none, what you come over here for? So here he is traveling in a place that he did not need to be uh, on the way to somewhere he didn't need to go, which was to go find this woman to marry her that he didn't need to be with. Remember, if you would like to hear more about our ministry, just log on to KingdomRock.org. That's KingdomRock.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the rich word of God. But this morning, we're going to talk about somebody that I'm sure you are all familiar with. And what I want you to do is when I say his name, I want y'all to tell me what do you think of what comes to mind uh, when you hear this person's name. Now, y'all don't have to raise your hand. Just go and yell it out there. Today, we're going to talk about the judge whose name was Samson. Delilah. Isn't that so? Immediately, your mind goes to Delilah, right? Um, is that a good thing? Was she a good influence in his life? No. She wasn't at all. Um, and so we can see how through the life of Samson, how you can be called uh, for a particular purpose, even groomed for a particular purpose, and still get off track. And how we can see just even in the world around us today, you could do a whole lot of good and just do one bad, and that bad thing will overshadow a lot of the good that you've done. And so we have to be careful. And I know a lot of people say, well, some people say, you know, the thing they don't like about church is always a bunch of do's and don'ts. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. Um, And the reason for that is that as Christians, we should strive to live holy lives. Now, I say strive to live because it's a process. Uh, Hopefully, today, you will live a life that's more like Jesus Christ than the one you lived yesterday. And hopefully Monday will be a little bit better than today. Well, if you slip on Tuesday and you just act like you ain't never even heard of the Lord, then regroup and let's give it another try on Wednesday, right? But it's a process, but our goal should be to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ, to be a Christian, which means someone who's Christ-like. Now, the reason we say it's important to come to church and study your Bible and to pray is so that we can know what being Christ-like means. Because if I tell you, um, you know, if I come in, I give Deacon an assignment. If I say, you know, Deacon, I want you to um, be the usher at the church. Well, if Deacon is not familiar with what being an usher means, that doesn't tell him anything, does it? He's just like, okay, I'm supposed to be an usher. I don't know what they do. Um, And so he just sort of probably sit there because he figures, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So usually when people don't know what they're supposed to do, they just do nothing pretty much. So for us to tell you to be that you are to be a Christian, um, to be Christ-like, if you don't know what that means, you don't have anything you can work with. And so that's why it's important for us to pray and to study our Bible so we can learn what God, how God is learn his characteristics, uh, to learn what he likes and what he doesn't like and what, how he wants us to behave and how he doesn't want us to behave so that then we can go about walking in that way. All right, but this morning, we're going to look at Samson's life. So when we think about Samson, we think about Delilah. Uh, and Jasmine and I were talking about it yesterday, and I was asking her, what does she think, um, you know, when she hears the word Samson? And, you know, she was saying, well, long hair, 
And Delilah, that woman, he probably shouldn't have trusted. And I thought, isn't that just a perfect title? Long hair and the woman I shouldn't have trusted. You know, how many of our things in life can be sort of summed up, maybe not by the long hair, unless the woman that you shouldn't have trusted had some long hair, but doing something, being somewhere you shouldn't have been, and trusting somebody you shouldn't have trusted can get us into a world of trouble. You know, and so that's what happened with Samson. He was somewhere he shouldn't have been with somebody he shouldn't have trusted. And even after warning, after warning, after warning, he still was blinded because he was more, more, uh, uh, you know, determined to satisfy his flesh than he was to satisfy his spirit. And if you remember when we were doing the seven deadly sins, as we talked about those, it's so much easier. The pull of the flesh is so strong. And it seems like it's so much easier to please your body, right? You hungry, get something to eat. You know, you got to itch, whatever it is, scratch it. The thing about it, though, is that it comes back. It seems so much easier to please the flesh than, than the spirit because you're like, I don't know, what does that mean to give my spirit what it needs? I know what my flesh wants. I can, you know, I can feel it and your body will tell you what it wants and it'll keep telling you until you give it that. But the thing about the desires of the flesh is that it's a temporary satisfaction because you, have you ever had an itch? You may have had itch. Anybody have an itch on their arm? Have you scratched it? Did it ever itch again? You ever been hungry? You eat something? You can eat till you are about to pop. You ever get hungry again? You ever go out and do something that you know was wrong, some sin in your life to fulfill a need? And then after a while, the, you feel, oh, this is great. You know, that high or that, you know, satisfaction, it ends and you got to do what? You got to go out there and do it again. But when we are fulfilling our spirit, our spirit wants to draw closer and closer to God. It's not that same temporary, like how you do something and then you regret it. And then that, uh, that cycle, and you say, I'm not going to do it anymore. And you do it again and then you regret it. And I'm not going to do it anymore. You don't have that same thing uh, when you're fulfilling the needs of the Spirit. Okay, but Samson, let's get to Samson. We, we find out when we first come into chapter 13, we uh, hear about um, something that has gone on yet again. What happens? What's the continuing cycle in Judges with God's people? Yeah, they do. It was a little bit different this time. They did do evil in the sight of the Lord again, just like, you know, what we say, sin is a cycle. You, you get in there again, God get me out of this, and for a while, you know, we are in God's face. He can't turn for looking at you. But then we finally, you know, we just sort of gradually drift away, drift away, drift away, and that's what happened uh, because they didn't ever truly give themselves over to the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> They gradually drifted away, uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord, means that they turned from him and started to do what the other people around them were doing. So, excuse me, sometimes what we have to do is change our company because we're going to behave like the people around us behave. You can look at a family, you know, that's to me a perfect example. The people in that family are going to act alike. Um, and as they say, people after they've been married for a while, they seem to start looking alike. <laughs> because your mannerisms become similar because you're in each other's company. And so the children of Israel were surrounded by people who did not worship Yahweh. They worshiped false gods. And because they 
continued to be surrounded by those people, instead of them being the good influence and bringing people over to this side, they would gradually make their way back over you know, to that side. So we have to be careful. You always want to try to put yourself in the company of somebody that is where you're going instead of somebody that is where you've been. You know, you want to strive for that. So you'll have something, a goal to move forward to. So they did again, did evil inside of the Lord. And this time the enemy's hand that they're delivered into is, is who? The Philistines. Uh, and it doesn't say in this particular passage, usually when they would do evil on the side of the Lord, they would cry out and he would send a deliverer. Well, they didn't even cry out this time. So that lets us know, you know, a couple of things. Either one, they were just so caught up in what they were doing that they didn't even realize that they were out there needing help. Or, you know, hey, the Philistines rule wasn't quite that bad. You know, sometimes we can get so comfortable in bondage that you just like, well, yeah. you know, this is what it is, what it say. It, it's my lot in life. It ain't a lot, but you know, it's my, <laughs> you know, you just get comfortable and you just settle for this is all I'm going to ever have. This is all it's going to ever be. Now they had been um, under the rule of the Philistines for 40 years. So in 40 years time, you got some people that have grown up in it and that's all they've ever known. Uh, and so they don't realize that they can be free that they can serve God and they don't have to do the bidding of this uh, other nation, uh, that they are supposed to be a strong and powerful nation on their own. Uh, And we can forget that. We can forget that we are to be a strong and powerful person, that we don't have to be beat down and we don't have to not have enough and we don't have to just sit over here and wait for somebody to give us something, wait for somebody to give us a handout. Uh, So we can sometimes forget that we are supposed to be the victor and not the victim uh, when you are just, you can get used to being the victim and you just expect people to do you wrong because they always do. You expect things to turn out wrong uh, for you. And so we see uh, that this is, they've, you know, are just sort of settled in this and they're not even crying out for help, but the Lord sends help anyway. And so we come upon uh, Manoah, we don't even know his wife's name, her name is just his wife. <laughs> Manoah and his wife. The angel appears to his wife as she is barren. I mean, she does not have any kids, not capable of bearing children. Uh, and as difficult as it is in today's time, it was even more difficult back then where you were considered, if you weren't able to have children, you were considered cursed of God. Or when you had children, you were blessed of God. And, you know, men not only wanted children, they wanted sons because you, if you're, especially if you're in an agricultural society, <clears throat> you needed people to help you, you know, help you with your, your land and whatnot. Okay, so an angel appears to her and tells her that she's going to conceive a son um, and that that son will begin the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm like, wow. You know, what would you, how would you feel if God came up to you and said, you not only are you going to, I'm going to bless you with a child, <clears throat> You know, you've tried to have kids. Once you, you know, consider yourself barren, that means you've tried to have children. Uh, enough time has gone by when you just come to grips with it, just ain't going to happen. Uh, and it may not be just necessarily a physical child, but just think if you've had tried to birth a ministry, something that you wanted to do, uh, and you've tried it, and you've tried it, and it just hasn't happened. And so you may just be sort of coming to grips with this is all I'm, I'm going to ever have. It's not going to get any better than this. I'm not going to accomplish this thing. And then the Lord comes and tells you 
Not only is it going to happen, uh, but it's going to be the de- beginning of the deliverance for a whole nation of people. That's powerful. And so he tells her that, and she goes, and you know, she tells her husband, and her husband was like, you know, who is it? I don't know. Uh, just. Some, uh, somebody from God. She doesn't even know if it was an angel from Yahweh or from whoever. She doesn't. She, I didn't ask him his name and he didn't tell me. And so the angel appears to her again and she goes and gets her husband. And so they have the conversation there with the angel uh, that you're going to be blessed uh, with a son and that he's going to be the beginning of the deliverance of God's people. Uh, but there are some guidelines that the angel gives her that she's going to have to, her son is going to be a Nazarite. Now, what that means is a person that is set aside uh, for God's use. Uh, and there was a vow that would be undergone under, or, or taken uh, to be a Nazarite, and they would not drink any wine or strong drink, uh, no fruit of the vine at all, so no grapes or anything like that. Um, they had to also not touch anything dead, even if it were a relative, no touching of, of dead flesh, and he could not cut his hair, no razor on his head, uh, because the hair symbolized that the vow was still intact. Um, and when the vow, some people would take, old, on, in um, other sections of the Old Testament, there's some people that would take Nazarite vows just for a season, and when the vow season was over, then they would shave their heads, and it was offered in, a, in an offering, sacrifice to the Lord. So these are some things, and so because uh, the baby would, or Samson would have to be under this vow, his mother had to be, because while she was carrying him, she didn't, you know, want to do anything that would possibly contaminate him, because he was going to be set aside uh, for the work of the Lord. All right, so in chapter 14, Samson has grown up and it's unclear. Now, I mean, it's got to be somewhat obvious. If you're raising a child and there's this vow on his life, I'm sure at some point they've taught him the ways of the Lord and they've told him why, you know, you can't have this and why we don't cut your hair. And so he knows uh, what's on him, that he's been set aside for the Lord and there's some restrictions on his life. But as he grows up, he, like children sometimes will, decides to go his own way. So we see in chapter 14, uh, the first thing that we pick up on is that Samson goes down to Timnath and he sees a woman down there that's a Philistine. Now, we already have established that they are the enemy, so to speak, right? They are the oppressor uh, of the people that you have been called to help deliver. So marrying one of them, probably not the best plan. Wouldn't you think you start intermarrying? And maybe he thought that if he intermarried, he could sort of go in and filtrate. Who knows? Um, but his parents don't like it. And they're like, well, you know, is there not somebody among our people? Why don't you marry one of your own kind? Why would you go and marry uh, somebody that's the enemy? But Samson uh, is going to do what he wants to do. So he goes and he gets this woman. And uh, as they're traveling there, he travels through the vineyard. Now, if you cannot have anything from the vine, you're not supposed to eat anything from the vine. Tell me, what business do you have in the vineyard? None at all, right? There is no need to put yourself in a place of temptation if you're not supposed to be there. Uh, but Samson does. He decides to travel through the vineyard. Now, we can see, think about in your own life some situations where when you went somewhere you knew you didn't need to go, it wasn't even on the way. You just decide, well, I'm going to go by here. I'm going to go by so-and-so's house on my way, you know, 
to the church. I'm just going to swing by, you know, and see what happens. You get over there and then all of a sudden you're confronted with things and then you're like, well, no, you know, I don't want it. And they're looking at you like, well, if you didn't want none, what you come over here for? So here he is traveling in a place that he did not need to be uh, on the way to somewhere he didn't need to go, which was to go find this woman to marry her that he didn't need to be with. Um, but he is just here. We just blinded to what he needs to be doing. And we, when we look at, and it's always easy to look in somebody else's life and see their mistakes. Uh, so hopefully what we will do is as we look in Samson's life and see his mistakes, we can then take a step back and look in our own lives and perhaps see where maybe I don't need to be over here. And I don't know what your vineyard is, but you know what it is. And perhaps you don't need to go that way if you know it's over there. You know you can't have it because you know you've been set aside and consecrated for God. Then there's no business. And you, why even go over and tempt yourself? Don't even look over there at it. it. It don't concern you. Some things you just need to put out of your life. It doesn't concern you. And just move on. So he goes on. And on the way there, there's this lion that comes out. Well, he attacks the lion. Or the lion is coming at him. Either way, Samson wins. But he kills the lion with his bare hands. So here now we are in the, vine- in the vineyard in a place we don't need to be, touching something dead and we ain't supposed to be touching it. So now we're just all wrapped up in it, right? And the more and sin has an insanity to it. The more you do it, the crazier. Because when you step back and you look at, when you hear when people's sins come to life, and you look at it and you think, well, who would do something like that? That's the stupidest thing in the world. Why would you do that? Because sin has an insanity to it. When you're in it, Robbing the store and looking up at the camera without a mask on seems like a good idea. <laughs> until you, until they come to your front door and arrest you, and you think, "What was I thinking? You know, what you know, what was I doing? Taking something that don't belong to you, right?" See, at the time, it may have seemed like a good idea, right? Doing this or whatever your sin is, whatever your vineyard is, whatever your vow that you have made to God, when you get in there and you start to break it at the time, you know, think about when people are doing stuff, they don't, they're not doing it thinking I'm going to get caught. I mean, why would they? Just time after time, when people, when you hear about these scams, are they stealing all this money? They weren't thinking I'm going to get caught. They were thinking I'm good at this. I need this. This, this should, you know, you start justifying why you ought to be the one to have it. And if they crazy enough to fall for the scam, they need to be parted with their money. You know, you, you start thinking that way. So he goes through and he goes on. And then when he's coming back through uh, sometime later, there's uh, some bees that set up a little honey patch there in the lion's carcass. Now, here you go again. You see how crazy. How many of y'all would walk over to something dead and get some honey out? Ooh, there's some honey. Land over there and that. I'm going to eat that. Why? Why would you? So he goes over again fooling with the dead thing that he's got no business. This is death to him. And he gets it anyway. And he's eating it. And then he's taking it back. You have to be careful to who you take stuff from. And he's taking it back to his parents. And he doesn't tell them where it comes from. And they're eating it too. And so we see how he's just sort of playing fast and loose here with his vows before God, doing things that he doesn't need to do. All right, so he's going to marry this Philistine woman. Uh, So they're at the wedding. It's a seven-day festival. Um, There is a lot of eating and drinking and whatever coming on, going on. And he doesn't bring uh, any wedding party with him. So the Philistines select, there's supposed to be 30 men uh, that are like the brides or the friends of the groom. 
So they select some people that are going to stand with him. Now, so here we go again. You're in a place. This is supposed to be the enemy. So you're hanging out over here, and you're going to form intimate relationships with the enemy, and then you're going by yourself. Uh, Another thing that we see here with Samson, unlike the other judges, he doesn't try to rally God's people to do anything. He's going to do it by himself. Uh, So he goes in, and the the feats that he undertakes, we see that he does them alone. And at one point, the children of Israel, you know, consider him a troublemaker. They're like, look, we were doing just fine with these people the way we were. And you're going to come in here stirring up stuff, because the Philistines were warriors. They didn't take stuff. They didn't take, you know, some people don't take no back talk. They didn't take back talk. You start rising up against them, they meet you right in your face with some violence. Don't come disrespecting me. And so Samson going in and doing stuff, the, the people of Israel, like the, the men of Judah, were like, hey, look. And at one point, they arrest him. They, we, they'll tell the Philist- they told the Philistines, look, we'll go arrest him and bring him to you because, look, we don't want him either. And uh, so he's at the wedding feast. And this is where we come across the riddle. Anybody, the, the infamous riddle uh, that goes on uh, with him and the people of, it, of, uh, of the Philistines. So he has the 30 people. And, and uh, the, the wedding feast is going on, and it's a seven-day feast. And Samson tells them, I'm, I'm going to put forth a riddle before you, and if you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you um, 30 sheets and 30 changes of garments, uh, some real fancy clothes. But if you can't do it, then you have to give that to me. So we're going to play this little game here with the enemy then. And so the riddle that he gives them, out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And so here they are trying to solve the riddle, and they can't. So then they go to his wife, which is, you know, one of their people, and tells her, if you can't, you need to go and ask him and find out what the answer to this riddle is. If you don't, we're going to kill you and your household, you and your father's house. And so she goes to him, and she's like, tell me what it is, tell me what it is. And he says, no, I'm not telling you. I don't even tell my own parents. I'm not telling you who it is. So then she comes back the next day. Oh, you don't love me. If you love me, you know how we can play. You don't love you loved me. You would tell me the answer. Uh, you know, tell me what it is. No, I'm not going to tell you. Please tell me the answer. You tell me the answer. If you love me, you don't love me at all. Just tell me. So she wears him down, and he gives her the answer. And she goes back and gives it to uh, the men, and they come, and they answer the question. And so uh, Samson gets angry, uh, and his famous line, if you had not plowed with my heifer, uh, you would not have known the answer to my riddle, implying that they did something wrong, because those of you that farm know that you don't, in fact, plow with the heifer. Uh, But at any rate, so he's angry. And so here we get a glimpse of his anger issues, right? He gets angry uh, because they have found out the answer to his riddle when what he should have been doing was not participating. in. You know, he, he was not doing what he was called to do. And so he's out there and he's playing these games. And these people aren't playing games with him. So he gets upset uh, and he goes off and kills some innocent people uh, so that he can give them the prize that they were supposed to win, which is the garments. Uh, And he gets angry and he leaves and goes back. Well, he has never actually consummated the marriage because that is what would have happened on the seventh day of the festival. But in fact, they answered the riddle. He got all upset and he left. So he leaves. He doesn't take his new wife with him. He hasn't consummated the marriage. So her father's like, well, 
I guess I'll give you to somebody else. Now, he's already collected whatever dowry or bride price uh, from Samson, but he gives her to his best man, which, as we know, was just one of the people there because he didn't bring anybody with him. And so he leaves, and uh, his wife goes to somebody else. Now, Samson eventually decides to go back for his wife, only to get there and find out what? She's married to somebody else. And so now he's angry again, and now he feels like he's justified in doing what he's going to do. And so this is his next big thing. Uh, as we can see, when he gets upset, he goes, you know, sort of way out there. So he gets some foxes. Um, one translation says maybe jackals, whatever it is. He gets these animals. He ties them end to end, 300 of them, possibly, you know, having some help. He puts torches between their tails and sends them loose, running through the, the fields of grain uh, and the vineyards now destroying everything now those of you that have farmed realize it takes a lot of work to get a field not only was the field prepped but it says the standing grain so we're already nearing harvest time and he sends them out there and they go running through and it burns down um, the the grain fields the vineyards and the olive groves uh, because of his, his anger and him wanting to get revenge. And so now what happens is that the people look at Samson's wife uh, now and they still, they're like, okay, you brought this on us. So the thing that she was trying to prevent from happening uh, happens anyway. Her and her father are killed uh, because uh, they're trying to get revenge on uh, Samson. So it's kind of like a back and forth. They do something to him. He does something to them. Then they do something to get back at him. And he does something to get back at them. And it just kind of goes on and on and on. Um, and so then, you know, he kills more as after they kill his wife then he goes and kills more people. Um, and he kills a thousand men at this point is with the jawbone of a, of a donkey there and goes through on this killing spree. So when we look at what Samson was called to do was to begin the deliverance from the people of, uh, of Israel. Yes? But did Samson really know what he, I know the parents knew. And I was trying to find, when did God, nobody appeared to him to tell him? No, there, nobody appeared to him, but it was, would have been the parents' job to teach him um, what he was supposed to know. And there is some sort of hint in there that they do train him and teach him. Uh, the fact that he, he has to know that he's different from everybody else, that the Spirit of God dwells with him. But it doesn't look like he ever took his vow at the beginning that he took it as seriously as he should have. And uh, it could be, I mean, you know, who knows, for whatever reason. And it seems like it's not that his, li that his life wasn't effective. But when you look through and you see how for him to come and be the one that's ushering in deliverance that perhaps if he had gone about because it almost seems like he's you know got some issues there where you know he just sort of responds quickly without thinking doesn't look like he really thinks things through uh, so that could have just been a flaw in his character uh, because we can see how you know and it also shows us how God can use us even if we're not 
perfect. There can be a call on our lives. Uh, and the things that, that, that Samson did, it does seem as though he was effective in that he did sort of hold back the Philistines. They didn't completely uh, overrun the children of Israel. There, there was still some you know, in there, and, and perhaps the way he would sort of come at him, they didn't really know how to take him. So perhaps the fact that he would, you know, occasionally rise up and do stuff was enough to tr- sort of, you know, keep things at bay until the, the nation of Israel was ready to come up, until we get to, uh, you know, others and we get to Samuel and we get to David, you know, we, where they're still fighting that same group of people. So it's hard to say. Perhaps. <clears throat> Yeah. And then I looked at I see Paul got some of the daddy character who questioned everything. That's true because the, but you know because the angel didn't didn't appear to the father first he appeared to the mother on both times and then the second time she went to get the husband uh, to see but you know because this was going to be primarily because the the woman the mother was going to be the one that had to make the changes in her in her lifestyle and she was going to be the one that was going to have to teach him because just like you know in most households now the the mom is the one that's primarily teaching uh the children when they're young and so uh, who knows you know what what went on Right, right, yeah, definitely does that. So, and you can see, and you kind of wonder, you know, what things come into play when you look at a couple that have been trying to have kids and they finally have a child. You know, sometimes you can be a little bit more lax in your discipline when you are just, you know, so grateful to finally have. Then you can see some of the interaction when they tell him not to do something and he insists on doing it anyway. So there's already, you know, possibly something there uh, that maybe he doesn't take them quite as seriously as he should have. Uh, But we see he doesn't appear to be taking his vow quite as seriously as he should and that he's just kind of putting himself out there uh, in different situations. Um, Well, it, that's what I'm saying. it could have been for political, it could have been to go in there, but still you can see how even if God is leading him, how Samson kind of almost sort of puts a, um, sort, of, sort of, you know, messes up things a little bit. Because if you're, you know, going and participating, all of this, you know, with the riddle and, you know, running off and killing people and even how the woman just keeps pressing him and pressing him, um, you know, we can see how that just sort of a shadow of what's going to come a little bit later on in his situation. Uh, so, it, yeah, it could have been that, that, it was, that it was for him to do that, but you also have to look at how it was carried out. Because God can give us a plan. He can tell us that I want you to, you know, go and do this particular thing. But if we start adding some of our own to it, we can throw, uh, you know, sort of derail something or you can bring something into it that didn't need to be brought into it. Uh, And the whole thing about the riddle, which he wouldn't have had if he hadn't been where he didn't need to be. If he hadn't been walking in the vineyard, uh, then he wouldn't have met up with the line. If he hadn't been, you know, killing that. So here we're still just sort of, you know, sort of flagrantly flaunting. Uh, what we're not supposed to do uh, and the whole thing with the riddle. So it could have gone a different way if he had not been, you know, doing what he shouldn't have been doing. And we don't know why, you know, and what we do know is that God is faithful to use a situation even when we've messed it up. He can still bring some good out of it. 
Um, and you know, what we need to remember is that, you know, God doesn't put us in, he doesn't bring bad things on us, but he can salvage those things, you know, and make something good come out of it. So it, you know, could have been possibly what was going on. So, um, that brings us up to chapter 16 and we are technically out of time. So we don't actually get to Samson and Delilah, but we will pick it up next week. Uh, but just as you're thinking about it over the week, just let's, let's think about some of the things that went on in Samson's life, how, you know, and, and even the pressure of having a call on your life that strong from your conception, you know, from before he came in, into the world. Now we have calling on our lives, but I don't know very many people whose parents know uh, for a fact what the calling on that child's life is going to be and is able to tell them that, you know, to grow up knowing that this is what you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to do. And imagine the pressure that that brings, that you know from a small child that you're supposed to be instrumental in the deliverance of God's people. His life was not his own. And so think of the complications that that may bring. Um, now, we have, you know, ministries and stuff that we do, but how many of us have come to, you know, would say, even from the time you were a child, my life is not my own. There's some things that I cannot do because I've been set apart for this particular purpose and not have a little bit of rebellion mixed in there. Because sometimes you just, I want to do what I want to do. Even now, you know, people say, I want to do what I want to do. I know I need to do this for God, but what if I don't feel like doing that for God today? What if I, what if I just want to do something? So think about having that and how you would respond in a situation, you know, like that. And the fact that not only did his parents know, but remember that long hair was a sign of the Nazarite vow. So those that came into contact with him of his people would know that he was set aside uh, for God, that he was involved in a vow, a very important vow uh, with the Lord. And who knows, you know, what he could have gotten from that. And, and then when we see how his own people look at him as a troublemaker, you know, and they're willing when your own are willing to arrest you and take you to the enemy, that can't feel good. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're thinking that I'm supposed to be here to help deliver these people and they just want to be rid of me because they think I'm rocking, rocking the boat and they're happy. You know what? When you're trying to help to bring somebody out of something they don't want to be out of. They were happy to be. And how many of us have done that? I've found myself in a situation, you know, you're trying to save somebody and they don't even think they lost. So what do you do? How will you do in that situation? You're trying to pull them out of danger. You know, the house is on fire and pull you out. This ain't, this is just some smoke. I like this. When they, you know, sort of in a stupor and happy to be there. All right, so there were a lot of challenges there, but we'll pick back up with Samson next week. Thank you all so much for being part of our Sunday school class, and we're going to go ahead and consider ourselves dismissed. Well, those of you that are here tonight and those of you that are listening by way of CD, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, we're going to say this short prayer together. And I pray that if you pray this prayer sincerely, the Lord will hear you and he will answer you. So if everybody here, would you, would you stand with us at this time? And we're going to invite our Savior in our hearts because he loves us. And he is not here to condemn us. He's not here to embarrass us. He loves you. He loves you. And he does not want distance to be between you.
So, would you repeat with me? Would you pray with me? And just say, Father, I come to you admitting that I have done wrong. I have sinned and I have fallen short of your glory. But I've heard that you're a loving God and that you will forgive me. So now I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I confess Jesus as my master, my Lord, and as my savior. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Live in me. I accept you. And I thank you for accepting me. Now fill me with your precious spirit. I thank you, Father, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, if you would like to hear more about our ministry, just log on to kingdomrock.org. That's kingdomrock.org.